But I want you to go to Isaiah 53, as we've already said. But I'm going to read in chapter 52, verse 10 and verses 13 through 15 before we go into our text today. It says, The Lord hath made bare his arm in the eyes of all the nations. In other words, this is for the whole world. And all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Now in verse 13 he says, Behold my servant, again still speaking of Jesus, shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. However, before that, as many were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. The kings shall shut their mouths at him. For that which had not been told them shall they see. And that which they had not heard shall they consider when Jesus comes again. Well, let's have a word of prayer, then we'll go into our text. Father, this presentation, Lord, in itself was a sermon. Oh, what a Savior. And Lord, I pray that when people leave this auditorium today, more than ever in their heart, it will ring throughout the week, the month, and the year. Oh, what a Savior. Realizing what he did. Far beyond just saying, he died on the cross and rose from the dead. But they'll see the love and the extent that we can sing, oh, what a Savior. He came for me. Oh, what a Savior. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. <clears throat> now in our text, in Isaiah chapter 53, we read, <clears throat> Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Now, God gives us a couple things here. This was for Israel. They're being told of the cross. They're being told of what their Messiah would do for them. But when he comes, they do not believe. And it says, to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Just as we read about the arm of the Lord earlier. You know, the arm of the Lord, the Hebrew language, and I did not study Hebrew. I get this from reading those that do Hebrew. They said the Hebrew is a picturesque uh, language. And so, in the way they would describe things. For an example, let's just say that your name is Jack. And so... Perhaps in describing you or showing your name, they might have a picture of a car jack. Okay, jack. And in many ways, it's a picturesque language to describe something, to show something. Many believe that in other places where it talks about the arrows in these last days of perhaps being like rockets fired into enemy camp. 
Then in verse 2 he says, For he shall uh, <clears throat> grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness that when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Now understand what he's talking about here. No beauty that we should desire him. In the chapter before this, his visage is talking about the cross. But here, it's talking about him personally. Which will go into the cross, we'll see that. But you see, when King Saul came, he was head and shoulders above all the people. Oh man, he's the man. When David came, he'd already proven himself on the field of battle. But he was such a handsome man, a beautiful man. And people thought, wow. And he can be our king. He represents us so well. But Jesus Christ, as a root out of dry ground, when I think about that, think of his life. It was somewhere along at the age of 30. He tells them in the book of John, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see me, and he saw me. Wait a minute. And what is interesting next is what they say. A 30-year-old man. Now, if you said this to a 30-year-old man today, get ready to fight. They are not yet 50 years old. Oh, why would they say 50 years old? Because... The rough life. He had nowhere to lay his head. He came to this earth. He was in the world and the world was made by him and the world knew him not. And he comes and they see him. And he lets them know for what he has come. Having worked some with Joseph, his stepdad, as he grew up, he would know the life of a carpenter. They called him the carpenter. He had a rough life. Journeyings in the desert, journeyings on foot nearly everywhere they would go. Sometimes in the boat, the fisherman's boat, and they'd be fighting a storm, walking up the sides of mountains. No, they looked at him. This is not the handsome man that we was expecting. This is not the man of Revelation chapter 19 who's coming back the second time. He's on that great white horse and he's coming out and the sword proceeds out of his mouth and then on the, his side it is written that name, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the God of gods. But that's not what they see when he comes the first time. So verse 3 says, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He knew what it was to have a loved one die. He knew what it was to have family, life friends, 
forsake him. They falsely accuse him. He knew what grief was all about. He was acquainted with whatever we have felt in those areas. And it says, we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and rejected, and we did esteem him not. Oh, so many, because these were his people, Israel, but all the saved are his people. You got saved. Perhaps you grew up in a Christian home. Growing up in a Christian home doesn't save you, by the way. You've got to receive Christ as Savior. But nonetheless, we get to a point in life. It may be one of two things. It may be you get to love the world so much. You want to be accepted by the world. You want to be relevant to the world. And yet he told us, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. In other words, it doesn't mean the Father doesn't love him. It means that he doesn't have the love of the Father in his own heart. If that world is so important to you, so you don't mention his name out there, you don't stand for Jesus out there, you don't witness to others for Jesus out there, Too many Christians today do not esteem him. They fear more what the world will say or the rejection of the world. He is acquainted with grief. He's acquainted with those things, but not just the grief of what perhaps his brothers that were the brothers that were born to marry had questioned him before going to Jerusalem. But so many Christians are questioning him now that they don't want that in their lives. They don't want that to be a part of them. And so he is acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. We don't want anything to do with him. Surely, verse 4 says, he hath borne our griefs. And carried our sorrows. Yeah. All of that for us. Yet we did esteem him stricken. Smitten of God and afflicted. You know so often. What happens to people. A loved one. They've prayed for them. And they suddenly pass away. It might be a spouse. It might be a child. It might be a parent. Or something goes wrong in the family. Something goes wrong in life. And we get mad at God, I prayed about it, and he didn't do anything. And the first thing we do, I'm not going to church, or I'm not going to church like I used to, I'm not going to serve him, I'm not going to work, I know the Lord gave me a voice to sing, I'm not going to sing in a choir, I know the Lord gave me the ability to drive a bus, I'm not going to drive a bus, I know the Lord gave me uh, at least enough wisdom to sell something, know how to sell something, and yet I can't get up and witness for the Lord and try to bring people to Jesus Christ. I'm not going to do that. I don't like the pay. I don't like the consequences with the world. Oh, my goodness. We've esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted because he hasn't done for us what we thought he ought to do. And yet, 
we have not done what we should have been doing for him. He did not owe it to us. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And that takes us on into verse 5. He was wounded for our transgressions, and he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Oh my goodness, when I look at something like that, the chastisement of my peace, what I deserved on me, he stood there. He, he was wounded for all our transgressions. Think about it. Some of you men are wrestling with pornography, even some women. Some are drink, uh, just with drinking alcohol, some with drugs, some with so many other things, some with immorality and other sins, the hidden things of darkness, the Bible calls it. The intents of the heart which will one day be revealed, those things that we kept hidden that one day will be revealed. We wouldn't make it right with God. We wouldn't make it right with man. We wouldn't make it right with those with whom we need to make it right. And they'll be revealed. And yet, he paid. Paid it all. He paid it. Yours was to receive it. Mine was to receive it. Yes, instead we're esteeming him smitten of God. And therefore he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement of our peace is upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. I still remember standing in Pilate's judgment hall the first time and every time since we've gone there. Probably the most moving experience for me, even being inside that empty tomb that I was in. More moving to me was in Pilate's judgment hall. Because anytime you're in that judgment hall, you're within 50 feet. We don't know exactly where, but you're within 50 feet where Jesus received the, that whip, that Roman cat of nine tails. His body was whipped. A place where sometimes the person whipped would die right there on the spot. The Roman cat of nine tails was a vicious weapon. All those stripes, we are healed. Verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have wandered from that shepherd of the sheep. He's our shepherd. He's our chief shepherd. Yet, Everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all, of us all. My sin. My sin. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted. Oh, if you ever read about not TV, not 
not movies, but if you go and actually read details of the cross, you'll find that the movies and TV left out some things that do not show you the cruelty of the cross. You say, boy, that shows the cruelty of man. No, because all the cruelty that man could pour out upon Jesus on the cross, and it was cruel. The worst suffering is this. He had a human body, but also a human soul and spirit. Second Corinthians 5.21 says, He became sin for us who knew no sin. He was a perfect sacrifice. He was the pet lamb of God. He was the son of God. He who knew no sin was made sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God. Now think about that. He's dying on the cross. And in the whole time that he's dying on the cross, he's saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Now, we only see it written once, but in its presence, tense in which it was written means he was doing it over and over again. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. I remember Brother Gary Llewellyn years ago singing here, keep him in your prayers. He has a lot of health problems, but. Uh, some songs were written for people, and I think this one was written for him. When he was on the cross, I was on his mind. And that was you, that was me. Because it was on the cross, every sin I ever had or ever will commit was placed upon him. Yet, each of us, individually, and all together was on his mind because, because he loved us so much. And our sin was so great, such a multitude of sin, but he paid it all. All my sin. That secret sin, those sins of the mind, those sins of the body, those sins of all that we've done were upon him, but on his mind. Lord, Father, do what's necessary to me to pay the penalty. Hebrews says it so well, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He despised the shame, we're told, but for the joy saving your soul. Oh, we find so many reasons not to be in church Sunday night or Wednesday night, not to come to Sunday school, not to do this, not to do that. He didn't try to find a reason not to go on the cross. And he didn't find a reason to come down from the cross. We don't make a sacrifice to be faithful to Him. We don't make a sacrifice to get up every day and read His Word and think on it and to pray. We don't make a sacrifice for Him. 
We just find that when things go wrong in our life, we want to blame Him. Why didn't God do this for me? Well, why aren't you faithful to Him? He loves you. He loves me. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet, He opened not His mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as sheep before shears is dumb, so He opened not His mouth. When Peter spoke up, Jesus looked to him. Don't you know? I could call 12 legions of angels. He wasn't going to do that. Even when he said, My God, my God, speaking to his Father, why hast thou forsaken me? He wasn't wanting to be off the cross. He wasn't uh, wanting to stop paying your penalty. What he was wanting is in his ministry, the Spirit of God with the angels, whatever was needed, would minister to his need, his heart need, feeling hunger, feeling pain, feeling the hatred of man. And he would always be there for him, even in Gethsemane. He was there for him. But there would be no relief at this point for his human spirit because our sin required the full outpouring of wrath on a fully human, innocent sacrifice that had had no sin. And Jesus was the only one that could do that. He was taken from prison and from judgment, but that was a false prison and that was a false judgment. And who shall... Declare his generation, for he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people was he stricken. Oh, yes, Israel was the people, but Christians are his people too. The saved are his people. Are we going to make the same mistake as they? The one who's dying for us, being cut off, being cut off, and no stand, no life for him. We make major decisions in life. Is it what I want? It might be about job. It might be about a purchase. It might be about moving. It might be about marriage. It might be about a surgery. It might be about so many other things that you have that come up in your life. What does God want is our first. What is His will is our first statement. And it's our first commitment. If we truly have the love of God in our heart, not just that we're saved, but we actually love him as a Christian. He made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither as was any deceit in his mouth. He was a tender plant. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. His seed? 
That's the new birth. As many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. Born again, saved. The seed of Christ is your new spirit. That new nature. The seed of God. And the Father shall see of his seed. And he shall prolong his day because that seed's day shall be eternal life. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. But it pleased. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. The Father, it pleased him to bruise his son. How can that be? How can that be? Because that perfect, sinless Son of God, who is his pet lamb, had my sin and your sin upon him. God's attitude, the Father's attitude, and mind you, Jesus' attitude about sin never changed. Even when he was on the cross, we were still on his mind. So my friend, I want to close out here by saying this. Are you sure if you die today that heaven's your home? If you're not sure, you better make sure. You've just heard this message. How would you answer God when you've heard what he's done for you and you don't receive him, you don't make sure of it, you have nothing to do with it? What in the world do you think will make you acceptable when you stand before him and you're standing before him without Christ? He that was made sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You know why that's important? Because when I stand before God that day, having received Jesus as my Savior, Ephesians 1, 6 says, I'll be accepted in the beloved. I'll be accepted in his righteousness, in other words, and clothed with his righteousness for eternity. And that can be yours if you're not sure you're saved. Please make sure of it today. If as a Christian, you found Jesus Christ, his house, his service to just be an effort that you don't want to make anymore, just think. Just think that one day you'll give an account and it will tell the love of the Father wasn't really in you. Oh, you're saved. But there wasn't really an act of love. Let's turn that around today, okay? Let's turn it around today. Let's bow our heads.